you're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for September 4th, 2022, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. We humans arrive into this world trusting others to keep us alive. A few years ago, the headline of a Psychology Today article had the headline, There is no choice but to trust. The article was about trust as a bedrock part of our human nature. As a species, we don't see very far. We are blind in the dark. Our hearing is limited. Our sense of smell is poor. We don't have claws or fangs. We can't run very fast. And we aren't that strong. So we protect our babies and our young until they can survive and thrive on their own. And even then, we do best if we don't go it alone. Our brains are wired for cooperation, and cooperation rests on trust. Without it, our society and our entire species would come undone. Some might say, understandably, that you can't trust anyone anymore, with so much loss of credibility in recent years from certain media outlets and social media, elected officials, and institutions, including some churches. Our world suffers with a lot of cultural pain from the breakdown of public trust in the building blocks of our culture. And on the other hand, there are hundreds of ways in which we exercise trust in our fellow human beings every single day without giving it a second thought. From our toothpaste to Tylenol, we trust that those who make the products we buy are not out to harm us, but to help us thrive. From the buildings we live in and work in and worship in, to the planes and trains and cars that we travel by, we trust their reliability and the safety inspectors who ensure it. We evolve from and rely on what previous generations have learned and experienced. We thrive and build upon the accomplishments of others. Our brains are amazingly trusting And the evidence shows that we exercise a lot more basic trust than we are aware of every day. And to uphold this cooperative nature of the life of our species, we each have a fundamental part to play. We learn that we are supposed to tell the truth and be reliable and keep our word and be helpful towards our fellow human beings. In workplaces, sometimes teams will do trust-building exercises, like free-falling into one another's arms, to symbolize how they'll have one another's back in their work. Our relationships break down and break apart when basic trust is broken. And in the same way, our society breaks down when our trust breaks down. But from childhood, none of us is immune to an experience or two or many in which people or experiences have betrayed our trust or we have betrayed another's trust. And over time, we build up walls to protect ourselves. Mistrust is what makes us shore up our lives to protect ourselves and our belongings, our reputations, our friends, our families, our points of view. As much as we are wired for trust, when we lose it, we start to find ways to take control or to try to anyway, of other people. And we find ways to protect and hold ever more tightly to our things, especially if we've trusted deeply in a relationship 
and worked hard for our stuff. We believe then we own them and that we are entitled to them. But Jesus has something else to say to us, not just in today's shocking gospel, but throughout his teaching. And his teaching is that the kingdom of God, which I understand to be the culture of God into which Jesus invites us to follow him, does not consist of building up walls around our things or being possessive of other people, but in seeing everything in our lives for what it is, not our own possessions, not earned entitlements, but pure gifts from a lavish and generous God who makes us and sustains our lives, the God who knows our sitting down and our rising up, the God who searches us out and knows us, the God who loves us with a free-flowing love. All that we have, along with the people in our lives, are gifts from the creator of the universe who never stops inviting us to share an eternal, divine, free-flowing, life-giving love. But to align ourselves with this divine flow of life and love, we have to stop putting dams in the river. We have to give up all our possessions, Jesus says. One reading of the original Greek here can be to give up all of our possessing. It is not the possessions themselves that dam up the river of freedom in our lives, but our willful need to possess them. Whatever the circumstances of our lives, to loosen our grip and to see all that we have as a gift, rather than an entitlement or even a burden, is to see everything as part of the flow of God's life into us, the way of giving up all of our possessions or giving up our habit of possessing is the way of letting love and life flow to us and through us and out of us as through open channels. This is one way I start to understand what it means to follow Jesus into the way of discipleship that he talks so harshly about in today's gospel. Really, the end goal of Jesus' radical invitation to follow him is a life lived in harmony with God and characterized by joy and freedom Following the way of Jesus, though it doesn't sound like it today, is not characterized by suffering and deprivation. An excerpt from a poem called Storage by Mary Oliver says, One day I undid the lock and called the trash man. He took everything. I felt like the little donkey when his burden is finally lifted. Things, burn them, burn them. Make a beautiful fire, more room in your heart for love, for the trees, for the birds who own nothing, the reason they can fly. What is keeping you from flying? We each have all sorts of things that keep us bound and divert our trust. With his harsh words, Jesus is pointing out to a crowd following a crowd and to us there is only one God we can really trust. How easy it is for us to misplace our attention and devotion to causes or people or things that we think will give us the meaning, security, and purpose that ultimately only God can give us. We have all sorts of other gods in which we put our trust. The Presbyterian pastor and teacher Tim Keller wrote a book 
called Counterfeit Gods, in which he writes, the counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Is there anyone among us for whom that does not hit close to home? I can think of several things in which, or people in whom I place my trust for meaning and security and purpose. We look to others and other things and to messages from our culture all the time for meaning and security and purpose. Like the article from Psychology Today, we think we have no choice but to trust in these things. We very easily lose sight or have not yet gained the sight of the truth that our ultimate value, meaning, and security can only come from God. This gospel at first sounds like a gut punch to all that we have built our lives around, but it is really a prescription for good news. It's an invitation to make a trust fall into the arms of God. It's a challenge to radically shift our trust from other people and possessions to the love and generosity and rock-solid reliability of God so we can re-envision our lives and everything in them as gifts to us from God. Even the hard things, the hard people, the hard situations we face are gifts. We let our challenges consume us with fear and resentment, but when we trust fall into God, we can allow our hardships to be our teachers of things like patience and forgiveness and pathways for going deeper with God who will see us through. When we do the work of releasing our grip on whatever we possess and whatever possesses us, it doesn't mean we will fall down in a ravine into a raging river lost forever. Instead, it means we ourselves can be free to step into the fullness of God's river of life and everything in our lives is refined and enhanced by our new footing our new perspective. I don't believe this giving up our possessions or releasing our hold on other people is a one-time thing or something that comes easily. It is the essence of our daily spiritual work, day by day and challenge by challenge. There will always be things or people or circumstances that beg us to give them all of our trust, devotion, and attention. These are the things we possess and that possess us. But the radical call of the gospel is to trust, deeply, deeply trust, that everything will be all right, even if we let go of our possessions, even if they are taken from us. A friend of mine shared a beautiful Arabic blessing with me that goes, may you possess nothing, and may nothing possess you. It's not that we aren't allowed into the kingdom of God if we have possessions. It's more that we cannot fly if we're clutching our false gods. That's why Jesus' call in this gospel is so unequivocal. The love of God is so radical, we can't even imagine how much God has in store for us. When we open our hands and open our hearts to receive God's good gifts, this is the good news of the gospel that sounds so hard. 
Jesus' call to follow him into it is clear. If the true joy and true freedom that God intends for us is what we seek, we have no choice but to trust. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.